0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalbathanchel. It's been eight years since the start of the recession. How's Connecticut doing now? The state is second to last in the region for job recovery. Massachusetts leads the way. Today, where we live, we ask why. We've invited economists and other experts on to the show to help answer that question What's the impact when Connecticut has seen job losses for four months straight? and when our unemployment rate is higher than the national average. We want to hear from you this hour, whether you're a small business owner or a longtime resident living in either Connecticut or Massachusetts. Are there lessons Connecticut can learn from the Bay State? Join the conversation. You can email where we live at wmpr.org, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, joining me now by phone is Nick Perna. He's an economist and advisor to Webster Bank. Nick, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Lucy. Good to talk to you.
0: So, walk us through the numbers. You're the economist here. Uh, You know, we see the headline. We see the report that 7,200 jobs in Connecticut lost in the month of October. What does that mean?
2: Well, yeah. First of all, the the numbers are notoriously volatile, month to month, and uh, I'm a little suspicious and don't believe that things are quite that bad. Uh, we've gone through this before, and there are revisions every year that say, you know, that, that make things maybe a bit better. But but I think the point is that uh, we're, we're barely growing in Connecticut. I like to look at uh, job growth from a year ago. Uh, it irons out a lot of the monthly generations. I kind of call this the job speedometer. Mm-hmm. How fast are we growing? And Connecticut grew 0.2% over the mo- 12 months ending in October. Contrast that with Massachusetts, which was
3: 2%,
2: and the nation, which was one7 So Connecticut bringing up the rear, Massachusetts outperforming the country. And uh, you get a similar picture if you look at what I call the jobs odometer, uh, where how well have we done since just before the Great Recession started, say back in 2007 or so, And here, Massachusetts has regained all the jobs it lost and then some. Uh, Connecticut has yet to regain the jobs it's lost. And Massachusetts is outperforming even the nation, which has regained more than the jobs that were lost.
0: So where do we go from here? And tell us when we talk about job losses, specifically what sectors? Well, you know,
2: interestingly, uh, in the latest set of data, uh, Connecticut lost a lot of government jobs, so it's one of these uh, kind of cautions, be careful what you wish for in the form of smaller government, because we've been undergoing substantial layoffs of uh, state employees as a, a way of balancing the budget. But, you know, we've lost jobs in construction. We've lost jobs in uh, 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 financial services. Uh, it's just been a really tough Period. And and it's a little bit like, you know, the opener to uh, a tale of two cities, Mm -hmm. a tale of two states, where I'm not going to say it's the worst of times in Connecticut, but things aren't great. And in Massachusetts, uh, uh, it's really just a, a, a vibrant place right now.
0: And later on, we're going to have an economist join us um, from Northeastern University in, in Boston to talk about the picture, um, about what's happening in Massachusetts and why they're outpacing not only New England but, like you said, the nation. But when we look at the recovery in Connecticut, why has it been so slow? Um, we know that there are budget problems, but you know, yeah. what what are some of the other factors?
2: Well, you know, I mean, I think part of it is this: we're, we're caught in this uh, vicious cycle of where. Uh, slow growth begets budget problems, but budget problems, or the resolution thereof, uh, get you slow growth. So, if, uh, first of all, the budget problems in Connecticut go back many years. I, I've, I've lived most of my years in the state of Connecticut, and under most of those years, the budget was growing, but surreptitio- the deficit was growing, but surreptitiously, and, uh, you know even if you go back to the early 90s uh, uh when uh governor Weicker, uh you know forced through the state income tax uh the 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 budget was being manipulated in the sense that uh contributions to the state employee retirement fund were being deferred mm-hmm. And all that does is, you know, I hate to use the phrase "kick the can down the road," but it keeps it kicks the liability down the road. We still had to pay it because the benefits weren't weren't reduced.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And interestingly enough, uh, there should be some sort of truth in budgeting that that, that goes on because th- these uh, deferrals of contributions to the state employee benefit programs, particularly retirement were billed as concessions on the part of employees. And I remember objecting to the governor about that at the time. Anyway, let's fast forward. Accumulated deficits under the rug. It's time to pay the piper. Governor uh, Malloy comes into office in 2011, faced with a huge budget deficit, big tax increases, spending cuts. And I think that helps slow the economy uh, in in a number of ways. And then we've had chronic budget deficits since then, and we face big budget deficits uh, starting uh, the fiscal year that begins coming July 1. And a lot of that has to do with the cost of uh, state employee retirement benefits as well as now uh, the cost of servicing the sizable debt that we've taken on. Uh, there's no way of doing this that didn't cause pain in the short run. But I think what we've not done is to take the pain and then go for longer-term gain. So by uh, relying excessively on taxes, we uh, adversely affected the business climate of the state. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned business climate. Let's talk about that. So we hear from certain um you know, business leaders in the state. We hear sometimes from people who are calling in, they say Connecticut's very business unfriendly. What do they mean by that? Are they talking about the taxes, uh cost of living? Uh explain that to, to us. Yeah, well I mean
2: cost of living I think is a a two edged sword in the sense that uh yeah, it costs a lot to live here. And it's, you know, our, our medical costs are expensive. But that's the flip side of having very high incomes, okay? So if you've got jobs and you've got good incomes, then the cost of living isn't a real problem. However, for business, though, you know, we have, I think, the second highest electricity costs in the nation. I think we're only beat by uh, Hawaii, you know, where they, 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 they power their plants by ground up pineapple uh, leavings or something. Uh, And the other thing, though, is just this uh, – well, the taxes have been a a burden, uh, and not just the the level of taxes, but the uncertainty of taxes in Connecticut. If if you're deciding to locate here, you kind of wonder about what's the corporate or or even individual tax rate going to be like next year or the year after, how they're going to get through this next budget morass. And I think you know uh, it, it's also been bungled recently with the uh, with the GE headquarters decision to leave the state. You know they're already gone. Uh, I think we I think we lost two hundred very high paying jobs, very very high paying jobs. Uh, they're now in Boston, so it's kind of interesting <laughs> that that we're talking about this. And uh, would they have gone anyway? I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the attempts on the part of uh, our government in Hartford were really lame-footed. Um, uh, you know, I think after the fact, uh, some of the uh, tax increases that were particularly onerous to GE were rolled back, but it was too late. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were just a series of mistakes. You get a feeling that it's the gang that can't shoot straight that's there in Hartford. Uh, you know, when, when the Governor's office went to Fairfield to make a presentation to the GE executives as to why they should stay in the state. They had pictures of jet engines. Unfortunately, they were jet engines made by Pratt and Whitney and not uh, GE. So it's uh, you, you get the feeling that the legislature that, that the legislature doesn't get it.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nothothanchel. That's Nick Perna. He's an economist and advisor at Webster Bank. Today, we're looking at Connecticut's economy, why the job recovery here in the state since the recession is second to last when you look at the region. And Massachusetts, rather, has gained all the jobs back and then some. We want to hear from you if you're a resident of Connecticut worried about the state's fiscal future. Maybe you're a business owner and you want to weigh in on how Connecticut can be more business-friendly uh, to help uh, you know, boost the state coffers. That number, eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Now, Nick, can we talk about population loss when we look at urban centers? We're getting a tweet from uh, Data Haven uh, in New Haven. Connecticut urban centers added 11,000 jobs from 2007 to 11. The suburbs lost 18,000 jobs. However, Mass and New York have big urban centers. Talk about um, taking that into account.
2: Well, you know, I think the problem in Connecticut is that uh first of all that, that I, I've lived there. You know, i lived in Massachusetts for a for a long time and worked there, went to school there. But I've also as I said, spent all my life in Connecticut. And uh you know, for much of that time period the the, the, the cities in Connecticut have been uh have been very challenged. Uh uh growing up, uh uh Stanford, New Britain Waterbury, Hartford, I didn't leave anybody out, I hope, uh, were all pretty much carbon copies of each other. They were uh, viable uh, areas with uh, middle class, a large working class, much of which was employed in manufacturing. And then, you know, if you go back, I don't know how long ago, maybe 25, 30 years ago, all that changed. And the only one that's prospered is Stamford and that's because he was able to make the uh transition from old line manufacturing to uh high end financial services. But, you know, uh Hartford uh even in the best of times even in the best of times, during boom times, uh there really wasn't a boom in Waterbury or in uh in, in, in New Britain. You know, so I but I think a lot of this is um uh why does you know, <laughs> if we had more jobs all these everything would look a little bit better okay uh and why don't we have more jobs well i think a lot of it has to do with our shooting ourselves in the foot i had a piece in the Hartford current this summer about recommendations for how we could make things better i don't know if you want to get into that in the, at this time but uh go
0: quickly uh, nick and then we'll take a break and then we'll get back to yeah, the i mean I, I
2: think we need both re- structural reform of spending so from the bottom up, uh, a look at state retirement uh, benefits, okay. But also uh, reform like uh, sunset provisions in major legislation, so nothing is forever. But I also had reforms of the decision making process. I thought we could do away with one of the redundant houses of the legislature. There's no need to have a Senate uh in the state of connecticut or in any state for that matter because they're all senate seats are based on population and the senate in connecticut does nothing different than the than the house in, in connecticut so you could streamline the process you know uh and i think there's so many things uh, fewer college campuses in connecticut we got enough college camp we got one campus for every student i think uh,
0: isn't it important to have you know higher education institutions you know within um, the city and you know in the in the state rather to keep this the young yeah. talent here?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I think it's really important. But I think we're, we're we're doing things like I live down the street from uh, from Westcon, and Westcon is now in the process of offering out of st- in-state tuition to New Yorkers because they can't fill their seats. So what I'm saying is, I think we could get much better instructional quality. We could spend more on instruction budgets if we had to spend less on on, on campus overhead, if you will. Just count the number of campuses between the community colleges, the state colleges, and the universities. It's a little state, you know. Uh, I I think kids would be students would be better served if they had to drive an extra 20 minutes to get to a place that offered more instruction.
0: Today we're talking with economists about Connecticut's economic picture. The state's recovery from the recession has been sluggish, and for the last four months the state has lost jobs. That's not the case in other parts of New England like Massachusetts, where the Bay State is seeing quite a rebound. An economist at Northeastern University in Boston will join us after the break, and we want to hear from you. We have some uh, callers lined up. We're going to take your calls after the break. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's hard not to notice when our state is near the bottom of a list. The one we're talking about today is how Connecticut's economy stacks up against others in the region. When you look at all New England states, Connecticut has only regained 76% of the jobs lost since the recession, according to Connecticut Labor Department data. Conversely, Massachusetts' job recovery rate is three times that. So that got us wondering, what's the Bay State doing right? Joining us now to help us answer that question, Alan Clayton-Matthews. He's economist at Northeastern University. joins us today from the studios of WGBH in Boston. Alan, welcome to the show.
4: Hi, Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hi, Nick. How are you doing, Alan?
0: And that's Nick Perna, an economist and advisor to Webster Bank, who's joining us by phone. Um, And, Alan, we want to hear about the job recovery in Massachusetts, Uh, obviously sluggish here in Connecticut. What are the trends in the Bay State?
4: Well, Nick pointed them out. Uh, In the last year, employment in Massachusetts has grown at about a 2% uh, annualized rate, and it's been growing between one and a half and two percent per year in terms of jobs uh, since the recovery began in the middle of uh, 2009, and the recovery here uh, in this cycle is is uh, going about we're growing about twice as fast in terms of jobs as we did in the prior recovery in the 2000s. So we just happen to be well positioned in the types of services and products we offer. Uh, that sell to world na- national and worldwide markets.
0: Is all of that, you know, related to Boston?
4: Yes, it is. <laughs> it's really a story about Boston and not Massachusetts. And I think maybe that's the problem, uh the main problem that Connecticut is having. Connecticut is uh between two big metropolitan areas, New York and and Boston, and a lot of the uh economic activity is is getting sucked towards those centers. Uh, especially in this globalized economy and i I think that 's a large part of the problem that Connecticut is having um, and Massachusetts and Boston in particular has has actually been lucky where we have the thriving economy we have now uh, because largely because of a historical accident
0: mm, historical accident. can you tell me a little bit more about that
4: well in uh, in the 1960s um, Massachusetts was a, a, a sort of declining manufacturing economy. We produced uh, textiles, shoes, and paper, uh, and 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 our economic growth was slow. And we were a more highly educated um, state than the nation as a whole, but not much so. I think we ranked 14th or 15th in among states in terms of the proportion of our adults who had a four-year college education. But then the Vietnam War happened, and Lyndon Johnson instituted the student deferment. So if you were a young man in 1968, say, you had uh, two choices. You could go to college, or you could go to Vietnam. And luckily for Massachusetts and Boston, Boston had uh, nationally renowned higher educational institutions right in the city. Uh, Nick went to one of them. Nick went to two of them, <laughs> uh, right? And um, and so there was Harvard, there was MIT, uh, Boston University was growing and, and well-known, B.C. Is, uh, that's also my album mater too, Nick. Oh, I didn't um, know that, Alan. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I got my Ph.D. there, and, and we switched. Uh, I was at MIT <laughs> as an undergrad. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, the, the, the important thing about that was that uh, a lot of uh, y- uh, young kids, especially men, flocked to these educational institutions, and the thing about Boston was that these were right in the middle of a large labor market. So when students uh, came to the, the colleges here, Uh, They had job opportunities maybe when they were working in college, but as soon as they got out, they were right in the middle of a labor market. And so the position of Massachusetts in terms of the proportion of its adults with a four-year college education, uh, we went from uh, 14th or 15th in the nation to... The top state in the nation by uh, by the late '80s, and and we've been at the top ever since, uh, not counting Washington D.C., which is uh, full of lawyers. But among the 50 <laughs> states, uh, we have more uh, college-educated uh, adults than any other state. And and the in these days in this globalized economy, the chief strategic economic resource is now it's not oil. Or, or or, something like that. It's highly skilled labor, and, and, and that's what we've had thanks to, I'd say, to LBJ and the and the student deferment.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy nall We're talking about the economic recovery in New England, uh, looking specifically at what's happening in Connecticut and then Massachusetts. We have a number of calls, so hopefully our economists can answer them. Peter has been holding from Stanford. Peter, you're on the show. Uh,
5: yes, I would like to... Uh just say that uh you know it's interesting the historical perspective that your connecticut uh, economist said that all these uh cities were carbon copies of each other they were also interconnected waterbury was a brass capital uh stanford was the key they got their brass and then they made keys out of them uh danbury was the felt uh capital and they got their uh thread from uh, uh oh what's the town in uh willimantic. Windu- willimantic yes so they got the thread from willimantic and also from <laughs> And then they also, uh, you know, partnered with the with these, uh Massachusetts mills. And I think the, the mills partnered together, the uh, foundries partnered together. And Route Eight, that Route Eight corridor, had a bunch of uh, copper-related industries, uh, and they're all gone. <laughs> but um, and that's one point. The other one is, you know, we, we have a tax, a huge tax uh, problem, but we don't have the revenue. We don't have the high-paying jobs to support uh, that revenue poor country so uh you know we have to rely on property taxes which have which are not related to income so you can have you know a a two million dollar house that you inherited from your parents and that would be um you know a real big burden and also these these cities uh are um have higher taxes than than the small towns like greenwich and new canaan because they have a higher income and bridgeport and waterbury have lower income so they they have to really rely on the poor um Residents all the more. Uh, so I think it's a combination of a uh, well, lack of manufacturing. We haven't had anything. We don't have anything to replace the brass industry. We we don't have anything to replace. in Bridgeport's huge defense-related industries. Uh, and I thought that maybe we could have a, a desalination program in Bridgeport and uh, in New Haven to desalinate the water to to alleviate our water crisis that we have. I don't think the rain really. Uh, it, it made a little bit of a difference in the drought, but. Um, you know, I think we just don't have um, the high incomes to um, to uh, shore up, uh, you know, all the government services that we have. And we, we need, we do need the government services, yeah. definitely.
0: Well, thank you, Peter, for your comment. I'll go back to economist Nick Perna, based here in Connecticut. Um, did you want to respond to Peter? And-
2: yeah, I think he made a, a boatload of very interesting points. Uh, I'll address just very quickly two that I think are in there. One of them is. That when he said we don't have the high-paying jobs, one of the cruel things that's occurred during the current recovery is that where we've gotten job growth, it hasn't replaced the losses in the higher income levels. So that our receipts are growing slowly, not just because jobs are growing slowly, but because average incomes are not rising or are falling, which is uh, again a symptom of, uh, of, of 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 slow growth. The second thing is that the cities are also caught in this kind of vicious cycle of slow growth, where slow growth makes things worse, and things, the thing, as things get worse, get worse, they make growth slower. So, for example, he mentioned the very high property tax rates as people move out of town. As more people move out, the property tax rates have to go up. and It drives business away. And as the state gets caught in these uh, budget prevails, then it reduces its aid that it pays to the cities. So, uh, somehow or another, we got to jump into this thing and break the vicious cycle at the state and uh, local level. One quick comment on on Alan's stuff. I thought that was fascinating what he said, and I would only add that it wasn't just the student deferments. It was something called the National Defense Education Act, which educated boatloads of PhDs in Boston, including myself. Uh, And uh, I had never thought of what Alan said, but I thought that that's really interesting.
0: This is where we live. I'm Lucy Um We again, we have a number of uh, listeners who want to ask a question of our guests. Our guests are Alan Clayton Matthews, economist at Northeastern University, joining us from the studios of WGBH in Boston, and Nick Perna, economist and advisor to Webster Bank. You know, we know that uh, Massachusetts, has, you know, you had mentioned has a lot going for it because of, of Boston, but you know, you do have your challenges too. Uh, um, housing costs, for one. I mean, how are leaders there addressing that? I mean, obviously, you do have a lot of jobs that pay. Good wages, um, but there are—I can't imagine the whole state of Massachusetts is doing great, as you said.
4: That's right. The the whole state is not doing great. and We have a lot of the same problems in manufacturing that Connecticut has. It's it's Boston that's doing well, but Massachusetts uh, used to have several huge manufacturing centers: Springfield, uh, 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 New Haven, uh, Lowell, Lawrence, uh, Holyoke uh and and all those uh cities declined along with uh, the traditional uh, manufacturing and 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 so did the jobs that went with them so outside of Boston Massachusetts still has uh still has problems and you pointed out uh, one that's a big problem for us and that's the high cost of living especially housing it's difficult to uh keep young households here because of the high cost of housing and and that's our uh, that's our largest uh uh problem and and thing that has to be addressed and uh we are building more housing now but uh with all 351 uh, cities and towns that put restrictions on what can be built uh that that uh limits the amount of housing that has been built over over the last several decades, and that and that's a problem we have mm-hmm. to address.
0: And should we mention um, the the casino element to this, of um, the casinos that are being built around the state of Massachusetts to help?
4: Well, we haven't seen much of that yet, and they're being built. Uh, there is uh, one a slot uh, uh, place in Plainridge that that's operational right now. Uh, they're being built. They will have a, a small impact on the economy. There, there will be some competition. Uh, with Connecticut, Connecticut has had a very successful casino industry. Although you know they're they're uh, they're not on they're they're on some hard times now, I believe. Um, uh, right, Nick, and
2: it's competition from people like you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, that's right now. It's just it just threats. Uh, we haven't built them yet, and who knows what what the impact uh, will be? Mm. But we're hoping that uh, it, say in a city like Springfield. Yep. Uh, which is not doing well and, and saw great declines through, over the decades due to the loss of manufacturing jobs. Uh, there's some hope that uh, that the casino there will help bring back some economic activity.
0: I want to take some calls now. Michael's been holding from Merritt and Michael, you're on the show.
1: Along with uh, some of the other things that your guests have mentioned, I think another problem, and as a business owner, this would be my perspective, that taxes and also health care costs, are two giant reasons that are putting a lot of pressure on businesses, and mainly small businesses, but also big businesses, but small businesses particularly because small businesses are really the driving forces behind the economy, not so much the big businesses, but the big businesses are the ones that get all the attention, really, um, and because they're bigger and they, they have a lot more money. But um, it's the small businesses that are really going to drive the economy, and they're getting hit so hard by taxes um, and also the health care costs and that, that has been just giant for us um, it's been difficult to increase people's pay um, in order to uh, adjust for cost of living um, just because we're trying to keep afloat in that way uh... people are moving out of the state because uh... residentially things are too expensive and then businesses are moving out of the state because commercially things are too expensive and it's just gotta stop and, and it's one of the reasons why you see a lot of people a lot of business owners uh, complaining about the possibility of raising minimum wage. It's not so much that we don't want to pay our people a good wage. It's just that it's like just another thing. It's just another thing to add on top of the other extra expenses that businesses are are having to absorb. And it's it's just got to stop somewhere, and uh, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight.
0: Well, Michael, thank you for your comment. I'll go back to Nick Perna. You know, we hear sometimes from small business owners in the state that they feel like the the state of Connecticut maybe pays a little bit too much attention to the large corpor- large corporations, trying to get them to come here. Um, but there are there have been programs to try to help small businesses under the Malloy administration. What's your take from what Michael was saying?
2: Yeah, I think uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, some of the things that. He mentioned they're outside the control of the state of connecticut i mean health care costs are largely nationally determined and they're uh... by health care programs and the like uh... however uh... the cost—the you know the cost of regulation that's very much w- within our control in the state of connecticut expediting uh... permitting and all that and i'm not sure we've done all we can do on the on the cost of energy all right Uh, And I I do think, though, that there's a legitimate complaint that it's sort of like the squeaky wheels that get the grease in Connecticut. So, you know, a very large hedge fund, which we were afraid to lose, got a fairly large uh, uh, loan from the state. And I think years ago I invited Michael Porter to speak to the Connecticut legislature, and he made a very important point. He said that the role of the state – it's not so much to pick winners and losers but to, but to create a winning environment okay so i think what happens in the state of connecticut is that under duress from a lousy economy uh and budget problems that the business environment gets lousy gets less competitive and that forces uh, big firms to consider moving out of state and then we run after them meanwhile all the others that are in state are suffering much to michael's point point. and i think what we need to do is to understand that we have to go back to creating a winning environment uh and somehow or another get this uh million-pound gorilla of the budget off our backs.
0: You mentioned witty environment. I'll go back to Alan's. So when we look at Boston, a lot of highly skilled young people that are happy to move to Boston or stay there because of the, the, the quality of life. I mean, that's a big part, right? Improving our urban centers
4: yeah a quality of life uh, is something that attracts uh, millennials and boston is a is a pretty city to live in these days we've we uh, got rid of an overhead uh, expressway and replaced it with parks that run through the wharf area uh, downtown so it's 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 an exciting place to be for uh, young highly educated uh, workers and their and their families and so we've seen uh, tremendous growth in uh, software uh, a lot of a lot of small businesses uh in in information technology and also in uh, medical science and, and biotechnology and, and pharmaceuticals many of those uh businesses are startups and and become small and then uh, attract uh attract the demand from uh from larger companies that that buy them up and attract uh research uh, arms of uh, worldwide pharmaceutical and biotechnology companies to to Boston, so luckily, what we have is an is an agglomeration economy where uh, the inputs that one sector needs provides demands for what other sectors are providing, and that has helped us maintain a a stable but vibrant uh, manufacturing sector uh, that supports uh, medical devices and uh, and and uh, uh, biotechnology. Uh, and as, as well as uh, computers uh, and information technology products. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of synergy that is working right uh, in Boston. Mm-hmm.
0: I just want to point out we did reach out to Governor Dana Malloy's office, whether to give us a statement or have a representative from the Department of Economic and Community Development or the Department of Labor to join us, and we did not get a response. I want to take one more quick call before the break. Justin's been holding from Groton. Justin, you're on the show.
3: I'm kind of like reiterating some of the things that Mike's from Meridian was saying um, uh, Meridian, excuse me um, we need to to invest more in the small businesses there are numerous uh, fighter scientists, um, people from Yale that want to branch out that could take an investment and multiply it and they are right here in the state, they will live here, they have roots here, they're not going anywhere um, we could probably do it for a fraction of what We spent uh, the $400 million we spent bringing um, Jackson Lab in here. And um, so I think if we we look at a cheaper investment in smaller businesses starting homegrown right here in Connecticut, we'll develop a tax base that will be – with us for years to come. And we can do it cheaper than buying somebody, um, buying a company to come in here. Mm. So I'll, I'll, I'll take my response off the air. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Justin. I'll go back to Nick Perna. I mean, we have heard about some initiatives through the state of Connecticut to to help uh, give loans to biotech uh, companies, uh, small ones, um, especially after Pfizer uh, laid off so many people several years ago.
2: Yeah, I know. In fact, it's unfortunate that uh, Catherine Smith, the uh, Commissioner of Economic Development, isn't here to handle that question because, you know, uh, to give them – to give the administration its due, they do have a fairly important program that does pretty much what this gentleman was talking about. Now, whether it's adequately funded, I don't know, but it is kind of – a way of providing financing for uh for infant firms. Uh so I mean maybe maybe what we should do is reallocate some of the funds that we spent chasing after hedge funds and put it into home growing uh uh little firms.
0: I think a lot of people would agree with you, Nick. That's Nick Perna, an economist and advisor to Webster Bank. Also joining us from WGBH Studios is Alan Clayton Matthews, an economist at Northeastern University. And we're going to continue to take your calls after the break. We're going to bring in a business reporter to answer more of the question of what Connecticut can do to right-size the state's economy. This is where we live. this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalba Now, where we live is looking for your questions. We want to hear from you. And here's a topic that we want to dive into in an upcoming show. What if you always wanted to know about how your town government works? We want to know what you're curious about. And you can enter your question at our website, WMPR.org. And that's just look for the Ask WMPR banner. And we'll be in touch with you if we find an answer to your question. Now, today, we're looking at Connecticut's economy with experts in studio who understand the numbers. Again, Alan Clayton Matthews, an economist, at Northeastern University, joining us from WGBH in Boston. Also, Nick Perna, an economist and advisor to Webster Bank. And joining us now in studio is Mara Lee. She covers the economy, small business, insurance, and labor for the Hartford Current. Mara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you've seen the job numbers for Connecticut. Were you surprised?
6: Well, as Nick was saying earlier, it's not clear that the numbers are exactly what's happening, but the trend is not good. And I think that... um, our economist from Boston, has a good point, which is we're kind of heading towards a winner-take-all economy in the sense that so much of the energy, so much of the venture capital, so much of the educated workforce is flowing to the Bostons, the New Yorks, the Silicon Valleys of the world. And that doesn't bode well for a tech-based revival of second-tier cities like Hartford. It does help Connecticut to the extent that Folks who work in New York settle in Fairfield County, so it's important to keep that in mind.
0: I want to take a call now. Julio has been uh, calling in from West Hartford. Julio, you're on the show.
7: Hi, good morning. Um, Yeah, just a a brief comment. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I I work uh, for the big companies here for many years. And um, my observation is that the lack of incentive that the state is providing to companies um, is um, based on tax, taxation and operating costs. These are high, uh, even what they are forced to contribute to, uh, for the benefit of the employees. Um, I think if they continue to increase um, the taxation on properties and um, equipment and all of the above and don't take control over the operating costs like electricity, supplies, uh, water is going to continue to drive the country out of the uh, employment opportunities that the manufacturing and other sectors can provide.
0: Thank you, Julio, for your call. I'll have uh, Mara respond because you've been doing a lot of reporting on this very uh, subject uh, topic for years. You know, what, what is the solution for Connecticut if we know that we've got these, uh, these budget issues, less assistance for
6: towns and cities, people moving out, taxes go up? Well, the tax question is an interesting one, because what I see is some movement of jobs to cheaper places. I wrote about a factory in Hartford that closed and they moved to Florida. And I wrote recently about MetLife moving hundreds and hundreds of jobs to Charlotte where they can pay less. But honestly, I would be more concerned about all the jobs we're losing to Boston, Um, Bristol-Myers, Squibbs, Pfizer. I did a story where people told me they call it a Pfizer car, where people get on at 530 in the morning in New London and take the train up there every day. So Boston is not cheaper than here. They have the same high taxes. They have the same high uh, wages that are paid. And truly for firms, it's the wages that they pay here that make it less competitive, not the incidental costs We make a lot more money than places like North Carolina. So we can't compete on the basis of being cheapest. We need to compete on the basis of being smartest. Mitchell's uh, calling from Avon. Mitchell, you're on the show.
8: Thank you. Um, I just had a comment. I agree with a lot of your callers about taxes and um, insurance costs for small business owners. But as a small business owner, I can tell you the single largest thing – that is hindering us is the lack of capital that that the banks will provide. Uh, With all due respect to your guest, the president of Webster Bank was on NPR, WNPR, a couple of years ago, and he made the comment that the days of other people's money is over. And I think that was a bold statement for a bank president to make. Um, I know business owners that will walk in with stock portfolios with inventory, with all the normal things that we used to be able to use for collateral. And we are constantly told, if you're not willing to put cash in our bank, we cannot extend lines of credit. And without lines of credit, cash flow doesn't work. Employees don't get hired. People get laid off. And we are still the largest number. We still hire more employees throughout the country than any other business source. So I wonder what the bank's responsibilities to the economy are or whether they only see their responsibility to their stockholders at this point.
0: Thank you, Mitchell, for your question. Uh, Nick Perna, do you want to take that one?
2: I I knew we were going to get one of these. (laughs) This is great. Uh, Well, number one, you know, first of all, uh, I I think
9: that's a vast overstatement
2: of uh, of the way things are you know whether jim smith said exactly that i don't know but the point he was trying to make was you know the good old days uh, you didn't put anything down and you uh, and then the bad old days came and the bank lost <laughs> lost everything so uh now i mean you gotta put some sweat equity into the thing you gotta put some of your own risk uh, into it that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, Webster has a very large, you know, small business lending program. There's also the you know, Small Business Administration loans. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's it's easy to dump on the banks. Nobody likes the banks except when it's time to go around for charitable contributions. You know, uh, but but I think that uh, it's it's it, it, part of the problem is that the bank regulators look very, very askance at loans that are not properly made. Who are the bank regulators? Well, at the state level, it's the banking commissioner, at the federal level, it's the Office of the Comptroller of Currency. And what happens is that if a loan is made and it doesn't pass the smell test, then it, it can be criticized, and criticized means that we, the bank has to hold extra capital against it, and it can be penalized in a lot of ways for doing it. Okay, so all of this you can thank the Great Recession of uh, 2008 and 2009. The second thing is that it's probably a lot easier to make a loan in dynamic downtown Boston than it is in downtown Hartford. Okay, but that, again, is a reflection of the overall economy. It's just much less risky to make a loan when employment's growing 2% than when it's growing uh, only 0.2%.
0: So he was talking about the banks. I want to turn back to Mary Lee, who is a covers the economy for the Hartford Current. Let's talk about what kinds of loans uh, that the state offers to business owners. You know, people bring up that, you know, the state gives assistance to the hedge fund Bridgewater, and that makes people's blood boil. So what is the state doing
6: uh, to help small business owners and other people get the capital they need? So there's a program called Small Business Express that was started just for this purpose, the idea that banks had tightened up, and that small businesses, frankly, were less credit worthy, that their collateral was worth less. And through the end of 2015, that program um, gave out, between grants and loans, $173 million. Why doesn't this change our trajectory in the job market? Well, that amount of money only created 45, 43 new jobs, according to the state. It retained 13,000 jobs. But when we talk about small businesses being where most of the job growth is, that's true to an extent, but a lot of these businesses are not rapidly growing businesses. They're a bakery. They're a dry cleaner. They're a medical office. They create businesses when they open, but then once they're open, they don't necessarily grow that fast unless they open a second location. I want to take
0: another call. Uh, Fred's calling from Middletown. Uh, Fred, uh, we just have a couple of minutes if you can keep your question brief.
9: Uh, yeah, this is uh, Fred Carstensen and, and what, what a lot of very useful comments here, but one of the things that has been lost sight of, Massachusetts and New York have very high cost of living, they have high taxes, they have high regulation. They're doing fabulously well. Their real output is up between uh, 8 and 10% since 2007, not since the bottom, but since 2007. Their job growth is extraordinarily good. Connecticut is below its employment level of February of 1989. nine. Third are 27 years without creating a single job. We had very good growth until 2007 with flatlined. What is wrong in Connecticut compared to those states? Because the arguments that I hear, it's a bad business environment. Excuse me. Massachusetts and New York don't have a better business environment. California has a horrible business environment and created more jobs in the last year than Florida and Texas combined. We need to figure out what is... Why Connecticut is an outlier? We are a singularity. Um, we have very highly educated workforce. You know, I'm mean, I talk about that. But mm-hmm. we're not capitalizing on that. What's wrong in Connecticut? Mm-hmm versus the other, I mean, Marilee put put a finger on something, is almost all of our activity has been defensive. We have been simply preserving the jobs we have, whether you're TC or Sikorsky. We've done virtually nothing uh, to create new areas or the areas that we have targeted, like bioscience, we then have systematically undercut.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, f- um, Fred, so you make... You make great points, and we wish that someone from the governor's office had agreed to come on the show to answer that question. But we thank you uh, for making that point. I wanted to turn back to economist Alan Clayton Matthews again just a couple of minutes. Um, You're over at Northeastern University in Boston. Um, Obviously, Massachusetts outpacing the nation, doing well in the region. Um, Where will the the state have any more room to grow? What's going to happen in the next couple of years there? (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, there's a demographic challenge that Massachusetts and New England and the whole nation's facing, but but more so New England because we're older, and that is, that is we have an aging labor force, a lot of baby boomers uh, in the state. They're retiring now, and will there be enough uh, young workers to replace them? And that is that is the biggest one of the biggest challenges we have, as, as does all New England. So because of that although we're growing at two percent now per year in terms of jobs i expect that in a couple years our job growth will be under one percent simply because of demographic shifts so what massachusetts needs to do and connecticut needs to do is to attract young households into the state to live and work there and that's why the amenities of living uh, are so important and also I think the real key is the quality of public K through 12 education we need a highly educated workforce to compete in the global economy households that are forming also look to places they can settle that have good quality public schools and so that is something that can attract the workforce in Massachusetts and Connecticut and and in any region of the country.
0: I want to read a quick tweet from Ed. Without policies that foster growth, Connecticut will continue to languish. No growth, no excitement, no reason to relocate or grow in Connecticut. I want to thank you for that tweet, uh, that tweet rather. And uh, Mara, before we run out of time, um, what are some stories that you're working
6: on that look at this very question? Honestly, I'm working on a lot having to do with Aetna and Humana, which mm. does again come to this anxiety. Will Aetna choose lower cost Louisville, Kentucky to move a lot of its jobs, deciding that the incredible brain power in insurance is not worth the cost here? And Nick Perna over at uh, Webster Bank, the economist there, um, an advisor, can
0: you tell us uh, is Connecticut going to get out of this rut anytime soon? We've got 30 seconds.
1: Yeah,
2: if if we get our budget under control. In fact, to respond to Fred Carson, the thing that sets us apart is an inability to deal with our budget problems in good times and bad.
0: Thank you so much, Nick Perna. Again, economist and advisor to Webster Bank. Uh, A great conversation. Also, Alan Clayton Matthews, economist at Northeastern University. Thank you for joining us today, Alan. Thank you. And Mara Lee, who covers the economy, small business, and labor for the Hartford Current. Sounds like we'll have to do another show just on this very topic. Thank you so much, Mara. Thanks. And I want to thank our producers, Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. I'm Lucy nalpith Thanks for listening today.